Awesome. And before we get started tonight, um, last week I preached a sermon and I got pretty excited in the middle of it. And sometimes when I get excited, I say things that were not um, planned. And every now and then I say things that were heretical, which means it's false teaching that's not Christian. And as I was listening to my sermon last week, it was by God's grace. I don't go back and listen to my own sermons usually, um, but I was making sure the audio sounded okay. And um, I said something that needs to be corrected. As I was discussing, I, I remember the point was... Um, that following Jesus means that we must proclaim the gospel with compassion, but not just compassion. And, and I was explaining that um, if you serve in food pantries and if you feed every hungry child in the world and if you uh, give a house to every homeless person in the world, but they never hear about the gospel, they never hear about Jesus, then ultimately it was in vain because they will die and spend an eternity separated from God in hell if they did not repent and believe in Jesus. In the midst of me trying to explain that, I told an illustration of a young, of, of a baby, a hungry baby. And in my mind, the outworking of that, it was the baby would then grow up, live in its entire life, and then die never knowing Jesus and spend eternity in hell. But in my wording of this, what I said was that baby will die and go to hell, which can cause a lot of questions. Uh, of do babies go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? And so before I start my sermon today, I want to answer that question. It is this church's belief and what I as your pastor believe, the Bible makes clear that if an infant were to die, they will, by God's grace, go into heaven and be in the presence of God forever. Why is that? Is that child worthy of heaven? Is that child perfect? No. We believe... That every human being that is born is born with a sin nature. Meaning that the moment that child was capable of sinning, it would have. But we also believe that the book of James says, For he who knows what he ought to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. And throughout the rest of the scriptures, we see sin as the uh, knowing or unknowing act against God's will. So the sin is the violation of God's standard, whether by your actions or attitude. Right? So, so having anger in your heart um, or punching someone. One of them's the action, one of them's the attitude. Right? So any act against the perfect will of God, that is sin. And we recognize that infants, babies, toddlers, they are not willfully sinning against God, even if they're throwing temper tantrums. They're not willfully sinning against God. And so therefore, we, and now if you were to say, now at what age does that change? I'd say I have absolutely no idea. I know that we have a gracious God, but I also know that we have a God that sent his son to die for sins, okay? And so I, I, I'm not telling you that you're 12-year-old, you're 9-year-old, I don't know. Okay, that, that's not what I'm up here arguing. But, but what I said, I misspoke last week, that a baby would die and go to hell if they didn't know Jesus. And, and I wanted to clarify that, that 
I don't know at what age that changes. The Bible never makes that argument, okay? But what I am saying is that uh, if you've got a baby or toddler, uh, we, we believe that if they were to die, they, they never willfully sinned against God. And so we believe that by God's grace, that they would also be entered into heaven, into his presence. Uh, we, we see Jesus talking about children a lot, and he says that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So the nature of God and the person of Christ, we see a lot of love and a lot of grace towards children. You, you may have completely slipped over that like I slipped over it when I said it, um, but it is incredibly important that I address that. Uh, we believe that children who die never knowing, uh, never willfully sinning against God uh, would, would go into heaven. Okay? If you have any more questions about that, please ask me. Uh, I am human and I, and I am flawed. And so every now and then something will come out of my mouth that is not biblical. Ask me about that. That's why we give away Bibles so that you can check me on what I'm saying because God is right and I'm not always right, okay? Uh, and so I just wanted to clarify that in case it caused confusion. I know that I caught it just listening to it and I know that we did have at least one question about that uh, because it confused somebody. So I want to make sure that you see me in transparent community. Uh, I messed that one up. I, I misspoke. Uh, so uh, thank you for letting me apologize and make that right. Um, before I pray and get started tonight, I want to tell you a story. Um, on May 2nd, 2015, that pretty lady over there holding my son, uh, who just sang, that's my wife, her name's Ashley. On May 2nd, uh, 2015, I kissed her for the first time. And it was right after we both said, I do, to each other. We dated for a year and a half, and I never kissed her. And if you'd asked anybody in high school, could Tyler Martin have dated anybody or even just been around a cute girl and not kiss them? You would have said, you would have heard the resounding answer, absolutely not. That guy is girl crazy. Because before I knew Jesus, it was 100 miles an hour as fast as I could chasing every cute girl I could possibly find. And that was my life. Now, that life led me in down. I've shared my testimony many times, but briefly, that led me down a path of a lot of regret, sin, and shame, and brokenness. Uh, having to come to Christ going, none of that's worth it. I need you to forgive me, and I'm going to follow you. Okay, so uh, that was my story. And, and as I get to, as after I went to college, got married, I actually moved back to my hometown, which was Crowley, Texas. Um, and, and I got to be around a lot of my old high school friends. And when I told them about our story, they're like, you've got to be kidding me. Tyler Martin, you actually stayed pure. You didn't kiss her until you got married. I'm like, yeah, I know, man. Jesus is crazy. Jesus will mess your life up. And that's what I want to preach about. Okay? And when I say mess it up, I mean in a good way. Okay, I don't want to have to apologize next week, too. I mean in a good way. Jesus will mess up your sin and, and help you to walk in righteousness. But that, as I look back at who I used to be and who Christ made me, what changed? I encountered the power of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and my life was forever changed. And the passage that we're going to look at tonight, it talks about the power of the good news, right? Jesus came proclaiming the good news that the kingdom has come. Repent and believe the good news. And we've said the good news means gospel, which means the good news that Jesus Christ, God himself, came in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins, my sins, and he rose from the dead and calls us to follow him that we may receive eternal life and forgiveness for our sins. Okay, that's the good news. And that is the, that, that good news is what changed me and enabled me to be able to live a righteous life for Christ and, and continues to enable me to strive for that. Praise God for his grace when we fail. But I, but I want to turn the passage that we're going to look at today. We, we're literally looking at the power of the good news and what it does and how we have to respond to that. So turn with me in your Bibles as we continue on in this sermon series to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to read all of Mark chapter 2 and, and up to verse 6 in chapter 3. Now church, we're reading some big passages. We've not read this many passages before in a sermon series. And so what we're going to do, instead of me reading the whole thing and then going back, that's what I usually do when we're reading like five verses, right? But now that we're doing about 35... I'm going to read a section and teach the point in that. Then we'll keep working through, okay? So we're going to read through four different sections today as we go through. Uh, but I want to, since I'm shifting up from my normal MO, that's what we're doing. Okay, and so join me in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. We also have some Bibles on these rows. That's our gift to you. Please take it home. Let me pray and then let's read. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And God, for everyone in this room and for all those watching on live stream, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and help us to hear from you tonight. Help me to preach it. And God, we know that you're with us and we just want to lift you up. We want to glorify you tonight. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum after when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Church, the first thing we see here is that the power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. 
Right? Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Now repent and believe the good news. This is chapter one. This is Jesus' first sermon. Believe the good news. What's the good news? It's the good news of a new kingdom coming, established by Christ himself, with the power of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what we see in this passage is that the power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. There was a man that could not walk, and Jesus said, because of his faith, your sins are forgiven. And the critics are saying, who has the authority to forgive sins? Only God does. He's like, oh, if you want to see that, let me just show you. Hey, get up and walk home. Oh, shoot. He really just did that. I guess we should probably be quiet. And so what we see is that the power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. That's why I told the story of who I was in high school versus who I was on May 2nd, 2015. It went from unbelievable to believable only by the power of the good news that Jesus brings to us. So this is what's happening. He's literally... I think this is interesting. He says he comes after some days. Remember, there was thousands of people coming to him, and he's trying to get away because all they wanted was for him to heal him. They didn't want to follow him. They didn't want to hear his true teaching. And so they're like, so he waits out in the wilderness for a while, and he comes back after some days. He returns into this town, and the people start coming. But this time, it's different. They're listening to him teach. He's not just healing everybody. He's teaching them the good news. Well, this paralyzed man finds out about it because word spreads quick. There's tons of people at the house now listening to the good news and Jesus or, and this guy wants to get to Jesus so bad they literally get up on top of the roof and they rip off it was most likely some sort of like earth right so whether it be some hay some dirt some mud some brick it was something that was okay it wasn't shingles with a 30 year warranty is what I'm getting at okay and so they're able to rip off this thatch roof that's the word I was looking for thatch roof and, and they lower him down in and he says seeing their faith he says son your sins are forgiven who has the ability to forgive sins but God? He's saying he's God. People, love, I love, a lot of liberal theologians today like to be like, Jesus never claimed to be God. <laughs> it's like, have you read the Bible? That's all he's doing. In every single passage we look at today, Jesus saying, hello, I'm him. Look no further. I'm God. Okay, so he says, your sins are forgiven. So this is how you know he's God. He says your sins are forgiven. He immediately perceives that the scribes, uh, there's two, two groups of people we're going to talk about today. Or the Pharisees and the scribes. Pharisees were like the top dogs, PhDs. They knew everything there was to know about the Bible. Backwards, forwards, had, they were amazing. They were the teachers of the Bible. Scribes were like their assistants. But they were pretty high class too when it comes to knowing the Bible, okay? Um, and so the scribes were there, the righteous ones. <laughs> Well, he, he violated the law. He's not God. He can't forgive sins. Knowing their thoughts. Who else knows your thoughts? God. Knowing their thoughts, he's like, hey, why are you thinking like that? Which won't be easier? How about you want me to make him walk? Get up and walk. Forgives sins, knows thoughts, heals the temporary. Hello, I'm God. And so he does all of this, and they're looking, and then he makes the unbelievable believable, and you're like, holy smokes, what is going on? 
What's going on is that the power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. There's a guy named Robbie Gallaty. He's the pastor of... Think Long Hollow Baptist Church somewhere in the United States. Um, he's written tons of books on discipleship. He's got a PhD in preaching. Um, this guy used to be a massive drug addict. Massive. He repent. He hears the gospel. He repents and he turns and follows Jesus. And the guy was talking about discipleship. And, and he and he prayed, God, would you send me somebody to disciple me? And then a man named David Platt approaches him. And I know you may not know who David Platt is, but he's also an author and the pastor of, of originally one of the first megachurches that was actually good. Okay? Um, and then he was just recently the president of the International Mission Board, the largest missionary agency in the world. That's who said, hey, I want to start meeting with you regularly to, to read the Bible. And he's like, okay, that's amazing. And he's like, I want you to memorize Romans chapter 1 before next week when we meet. And he's like, hey, dude, I don't know if you've ever done drugs or anything, but uh, my brain don't work. So I'm not memorizing that chapter. And he goes, I'm glad that we both believe in a God that can redeem. Memorize the chapter. I'll see you next week. And so he came and he memorized a bunch of it, but he didn't have the whole thing. But what's amazing is after time, God really did. The power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. He memorized the entire book of Romans and at a family dinner one time with his Catholic family that none of them knew Jesus, he stands up before they eat their meal and he recites the entire book of Romans and multiple of his family members came to Christ right then. The power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. An absolutely amazing story, but what are we to do with it? Church, maybe you're struggling with some sin in your life. Take it to Christ. I said, I don't want this anymore. I want you to set me free. And He will do it, and you're going to have to fight as well. Right, you're going to have to get in there and tear the roof off, roof off of this situation. He says, seeing their faith, faith leads to action. And so if you want sin to be conquered in your life, get an action plan. Start killing it. Start ripping the roof off of this situation and get to Christ. The power of the good news makes the unbelievable believable. Continue reading with me in verse 13. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. The power of the good news makes the unworthy worthy. Levi, son of Alphaeus, also known as Matthew, the tax collector. 
um, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, in case you were wondering about the redemption in this man's life. Let me explain to you what a tax collector was. The, the phrase that the sun never sets on the Roman Empire, right? Rome came in and conquered the known world. Well, where Jerusalem is geographically located, they conquered that too. And so the Jews went from being completely free on their own uh, at times to the Romans came in and just conquered. They said, hey, there's a new boss in town and you owe us some money. And so they were going to collect taxes. Who in here loves taxes? Nobody. I love the national parks I get to go to for free, but I hate taxes. Okay, but it's just part of being an American. And so we pay our taxes. But the Romans come in and they want more taxes. And so here's, here's where, that's not necessarily unheard of. But here's what happened. They got Jews to go collect the taxes for them. And so that's what, that's what Levi, or Matthew, I'm going to call him Levi because that's what this pastor says. We, his name is, Jesus calls him Matthew as well. And so he says to Levi, or Levi is a Jew who had Jewish brothers and sisters, lived in the Jewish community, but betrayed them and began working for the enemy to make his living by taking their money. Levi was not a liked person. Levi probably did not have his name called very many times, though he was name called a lot. Let me try and give an illustration. Imagine, now don't make this political, okay, because if you make it political, then this is not the point of this sermon, nor is it the point of this hilarious illustration, okay? So don't go there. Let's just imagine that Russia takes over America, okay? And thousands of Russian soldiers walk into Bar None and knock on your door. There's 15 very well-armed Russian soldiers. That's a hard thing to say, by the way. Russian soldiers. Say that fast. Um, there's 15 armed Russian soldiers at your house. And they say, we'll be back next week to collect the tax. Get ready. And I know most of you are sitting here thinking, like, I may not be able to take them right off the bat if I'm not ready, but I can take them next week. Okay? Don't ruin my illustration. Okay? I know you're thinking like, well, I can't get them, but I can call Bubba down the street and Bubba go come get them. Well, there's 15 at Bubba's house too, okay? So just imagine, there's 15 well-armed soldiers at every single house in America, okay? So just go with the dang illustration that you're hopeless and you're going to lose, okay? I know everyone out here is like, well, I got six guns on me right now. I can take out three, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> so, but... For the illustration, the Jews were completely helpless. So imagine we're completely helpless. Russia comes in, takes over every single state in the nation, every single city in Wyoming, okay? It's hopeless. They come in with power and now we owe them money. The problem is someone who goes to this church shows up at your house next week to take the tax. How happy are you going to be the next time you come to the hangar? And you see the guy who's now working for the enemy. I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to call him by his name. 
You might call now. I'm not saying we resort to our pre-Christian vocabulary, okay? But you might call him a traitor, or a communist, or a spineless jerk, all kinds of things. I don't know. I was like, hold on, I gotta watch my own words here. <laughs> You would, you would genuinely hate that person. Whether we should or not, that would be our inclination to hate them. To exile them, to never speak to them again. Now, that's Levi, the tax collector. Probably not on good terms with his family, and definitely not on good, good terms with this community that he used to be best friends with. Jesus walks by. He says, Levi, son of Alphaeus. Can I be honest with you for a moment? You and me are Levi. Because in our lives, we betrayed God. In our lives, we found pleasure in things God hates and clearly calls us not to do in his word. And in our lives, in many ways, we've profited by doing things that God does not approve of. And so we are the ones who have betrayed. We are the ones who deserve to be exiled. We are the ones who have found ourselves in our shame. And yet Jesus comes and he says, Levi, son of Alphaeus. Again, he's God. Never met the guy. He knows him and his dad. And so he calls to him, Levi, son of Alphaeus. The only other things he'd been called is a coward, a traitor, a jerk, a liar, a thief. And yet the God comes to him and he calls him by his name. Follow me. Now, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news today. But maybe someone needs to hear this. You're not a good person. You may think you are, I'm not, and you're not. If you don't agree with me, let me tell you how God says that you're not. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it's not on the screens. It says, therefore I, sorry, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, I knew I had it wrong. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespass means you crossed the line. Sin means any act against the will of God, okay? So you were dead in your crossing of the line and your violations against God in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. And so if someone were to say, if you were to die today, where would you go? He said, well, I'm going to go to hell because I haven't murdered anyone and I'm not, you know, whatever you find whatever it is that's not as bad in your terms. But the reality is that God himself says of you, you are dead in your sins. And the only way 
is by the love and grace of God for you to be made alive in Christ. That's through faith in Jesus. And so we are Levi, the tax collector. And when I think about church and as I think about who I used to be, Jesus didn't come to me in my life and he didn't say, hey, you selfish little boy. No, he didn't say, hey, you person that's addicted to pornography. No, he didn't say, hey, you little insecure child. No, I'm 16, by the way, but I'm acting like a little baby. He didn't come to me and call me out on my sins. He came to me and he says, Tyler, come follow me. He comes to Levi, the worst Jew ever. Levi, son of Alphaeus, come and follow me. Church, that's what he did for you. You think back to who you were. And he came to you and he says, would you come and follow me? He didn't call you out on your sin, but you repented it when he called you. And you said, I got to get rid of this to come and follow him. And it's worth it. Maybe you're here tonight. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says that, I'm sorry. Romans 3.23 says, The wages are all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages, what you earn from your sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Christ. And Romans 5.8 says, Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life. And if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus... I want you to hear with all the passion I can say from the Lord that he is saying, would you come and follow me? I know that the enemy has called you many things in your life that's caused you shame. Maybe you used to beat them over yourself. But Jesus is coming and he's calling you by your name. He's saying, come follow me. You don't need to wait for me to finish my sermon tonight to do that. If you know Jesus is calling you to follow him, you just say it right now under your breath to yourself. Say, Jesus, I know you're calling me. I turn from my sins. I'm going to follow you all my life. And then after service, come talk to me. I want to know about it. But the power of the good news makes the unworthy worthy. Continue reading with me now in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees fast, or Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them. Can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away. He's referring to himself as the groom. And when he says taken away, he means resurrects from the dead. Okay? Will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst into the skins, or burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. On an anniversary trip one time, Ash and I were driving through the middle of nowhere, Podunk, Arkansas, and we see this unmanned flea market. 
What I mean is that someone left all their stuff there and moved away, okay? And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I, let's take a look. And so I find what I have now termed Tina the Cantina. I found this really old canteen. And I was like, I must have this canteen. And, and so I, I took like $5 what I thought it was worth. And I stuffed it in something. And then I left. I have no idea if anyone ever checks that. But I felt like I did my right thing. I took Tina the Cantina. Okay. That thing is old. And as soon as I put it on me, the strap broke. Okay. But I washed it out. I like burned it and put bleach in it. And I drink out of it. I don't know if I'm going to die of something weird, but if I do, it probably came from that canteen. Okay? But go with me on this. That canteen was super old, but it still works. It held a drink, still works. Now, in ancient times, they would have, I don't know, I can't really explain it, but it's kind of like a flask slash canteen made of, of, of grapes or wineskins. Okay, so something, some sort of creation that they would do that would hold wine inside of it. Okay, well, after it's been used for a while, you can't put fresh wine back into it because it would burst. So it's kind of like one of the... Uh, what am I trying to think? Biodegradable canteen. Okay? And so Jesus is saying you can't put new wine into an old wineskin or else it's going to burst. Now here's what they're doing. They're questioning him on fasting and all these different laws. And we're going to explain more of this in the next passage. But they're questioning him on, on, on fasting, which is abstaining from food for the sake of righteousness, seeking God. Okay? So asking him all these questions and he's like, look, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And you can't put a new piece of cloth on pre, an unshrunk piece of cloth on sh shrunk cloth, right? So ultimately what he's saying is you can't put something old or something new with something old. It's going to tear it up. And, and it's kind of a confusing passage, but the more you understand about cloth and cloaks and these weird little biodegradable wineskins, it makes a little bit more sense, okay? But what he's getting at is he's talking about Old Covenant versus New Covenant. And what, what up, the point that I see in this text is that the power of the good news can't be held by old covenant laws. We could also say testament. So if you've heard of like, oh, I'm reading in the New Testament, reading in the Old Testament. So all the books before Jesus, all the books after Jesus, old and new. Old covenant is the Jewish ritual laws and sacrificial laws that they had to do as, as an act of their faith in God, which had to do with a lot of animal sacrificing, um, offerings that they would bring from their harvest, things of that sort. That was how they exercised their faith. That's the old covenant. Jesus says, look, I am fulfilling all of these laws. And now when I break my body on the cross, church, we took communion on Sunday, right? So when, when Christ breaks his body for us and when he sheds his blood for us, he's saying, I know you had to sacrifice animals and stuff in the old, old covenant. I am the sacrificial animal of the new covenant. I break my body for you and I bleed for you so that you can just have have faith in me, not do all these rules. And so that's what he's saying. And so the power of the good news is that you can't live the old way in the new covenant. And, and these Jews and these Pharisees, they were saying, well, here's the rules that Jesus is breaking. And Jesus says, I am the ruler. The rules don't apply. I fulfilled all the rules. I wrote the dadgum manual. I'm telling you that all those rules pointed to me. So stop following the rules and follow me. Not, and, and let me not have to apologize next week. <laughs> Jesus never said the law was bad. 
He actually says you need to honor the law. But how do you honor the Old Testament law? By following the New Testament Jesus. And so he's not saying that the law was bad. He's saying he fulfilled it. So now follow and obey him. And in doing so, you fulfill everything in the Old Testament. And so that's what Jesus is giving. The power of the good news can't be held by the old covenant laws. There's even a quote that Jesus says to people as they're questioning him. And he quotes Hosea, a book in the old covenant. And he says, if you would have known this, you wouldn't be questioning me. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Steadfast love, not, the sac- not burnt offerings. And so he's saying, I, you're, you're following all these rules, but you don't even love me. If you'd love me, by nature, you would obey all my commands. Okay, so that's what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. That you can't go off the old laws to fulfill the, law, the will of God. Jesus has come. He's fulfilled all the laws perfectly. So he's saying, just follow me and, and, and you will be in obedience to the law of God. Okay, so that's what that passage is getting at. The power of the good news can be held by old covenant laws. Let's look. At verse 23 through verses, or through chapter 3, verse 6, as our last passage. On the Sabbath day, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone except or anyone to eat except the priests. And also gave some to his companions. Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus entered the synagogue again and a man who was there had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they, the Pharisees, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to him, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched his hand out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Sorry, my apologies. The power of the good news infuriates those who love the law over Lord. The power of the good news infuriates those who love law over Lord. His disciples were walking through a field of food. They were hungry. They grabbed a piece of food, threw it in their mouth. The Pharisees are watching. Now, there's a practice called Sabbath, and we have to honor the Sabbath, right? So it's every seventh day. You take a day of rest. You don't do anything, right? You don't cook. You don't clean. You don't do anything. We as Americans have absolutely no idea how to Sabbath. That's why we're all so stressed out and massive amounts of anxiety and depression medications because we don't know how to rest, okay? I'm still learning how to rest, and it's really hard. I can set my own schedule, and I still can't rest. It's a problem, okay? So, the day of practice very strictly the Sabbath 
at sundown on Saturday or on Friday. And up until sundown on Saturday, they did nothing. They rested and they sought the Lord. The Pharisees, though, made this a, a game where you can do this on the, you can walk this far on the Sabbath, but you can't walk that far. You could walk to the loaf and jug, or, or let's see, you could walk to the stop sign of the loaf and jug, but you can't walk into the loaf and jug to get anything to eat. Okay, and they would just sit there and they had these little rule books and they judged everybody and they were the perfect ones that never dishonored the Sabbath. But they forgot the Sabbath was about rest so you could seek the Lord, not judge people for who's messing it up. And so they're watching the disciples, disciples and, and they're like, Jesus, why do your disciples mess up? And he's like, hey, remember King David, like the best king that we Jews have ever had? Remember how he went into the actual sanctuary and ate only what the priests are allowed to eat? Remember that? And they're like, oh, shoot. Uh-oh. He quoted us against us. We lose. Okay, so he's like, yeah, get out of my way. He goes into the synagogue. There's a man whose hand is messed up. And he says, stretch out your hand, and he heals it. Again, he's saying he's God. And they're questioning him again. But see the hypocrisy of this. What did they do? On the Sabbath. So it's not legal to heal a man's hand, but it's legal to go out, meet up with another group of Jewish believers, and plan how to murder the Messiah. That's legal. But not healing somebody. Whew, may God forbid that someone would get help at the church gathering on that day. So the power of the good news infuriates those who love the law over the Lord. Let me ask you this. Where were the Pharisees and the scribes in every single one of these passages? They were present, doing nothing, criticizing. Did you catch that? Jesus literally... Uh, he heals a paralyzed man and forgives him of his sins. They don't like that. He calls Levi the tax collector. And then Levi the tax collector has a dinner at his house and Jesus shares the gospel, assumedly, with all of those sinners and tax collectors. They don't like that either. Then Jesus and his disciples, after a long time of ministering, are hungry and they're walking through the fields and they grab a couple loaves of bread to eat, or probably a cornstalk of some sort. They eat something. They don't like that. Jesus goes into the church building and he heals someone whose hand is crippled. They don't like that, so they go and meet up and have a secret murder meeting. The hypocrisy. See, here's the deal. If you want to follow the law all the time, you're going to really hate the Lord. I remember one time I, I pastored a church in a small country town. And I remember I called one of the local pastors and I said, Hey, uh, a member of my church who knew the pastor warned me about this. Had a friend of mine that's African American that uh, I was trying to share the gospel with and minister to. And I was going to bring him to the revival at that pastor's church. So I called that pastor at a warning <clears throat> that was given to me, and I said, hey, I have an African-American friend of mine that's coming. Do you mind if he comes? He was like, well, since he's coming with you, that's all right. Just make sure he knows where he's at. Now, I had to speak at this revival. But after I spoke at that revival, I never spoke to that man again because he's a horrible, horrible, horrible example of what it means to love Jesus and to be a light for the gospel in this planet.
Not only did he not want my black friend to show up because of the color of his skin, <clears throat> he also grabbed my Bible as I walked up to the pulpit to make sure it was the exact type that they like, because you can only use the one that says thee and thine and thou, right? The King James Version. Great translation of the Bible, not the only one. But he looks at it, and in front of everybody, he goes, yeah, he's good. He's good. You got five minutes. <laughs> Miserable. <laughs> when you focus on the law over the Lord, you are going to really hate the Lord. Because Jesus is going to be healing people when you're not expecting him to. He's going to get some really rough and wicked people. Save them and bring them to your church. So if you've got a must be a clean cut, no tattoos, no sin, no nothing. Look, I've heard people in this church cuss. That's okay. I'm super glad you're here. I've cussed too, right? Usually not here. Praise the Lord, not yet. But... We are, we, I remember we went, to, we went to South Padre Island on this week-long mission trip, and all we did was give rides to drunk people at clubs. It was the coolest, craziest thing I never want to do again, okay? <clears throat> but we picked up this girl on the first night. She had a tattoo of a marijuana leaf and a naked mermaid on her arm. Her nickname was the Mermaid Princess or Marijuana Mermaid or something. It was something crazy. And I'm like, girl, you're crazy. So we tell her about Jesus. She's like, I love Jesus. And she's like, yeah, I actually gave my life to Christ last year at this beach reach thing. It's so cool. She rode on our van every single night, all night, late into the night. And she came to every time we got to have like a gathering of all these people that were on the mission trip. We came and we would sing together every afternoon. She came with us. One day she came in clothing that almost no clothing and she was jumping around singing and she really should not have been jumping and there was things that were seen that should not have been seen but I could not have been happier that she was worshiping Jesus and I was like this is awesome this is where this very not well clothed woman needs to be in church if we're going to watch Jesus and the power of the gospel the power of the good news we're going to see some things that might make us go hmm going to have to talk about that one later okay <laughs> If you want to see God do a move, then we better get ready. And we better stop looking. Did they do it right this way? Did they say the right thing here? Did this happen? Did this? No, forget all that. Are they encountering the power of Christ? And are they seeking after him? That's what we're about. We're all going to mess up. But are we seeking after Jesus? Because he comes to the unworthy and he calls us by our name and he says, come and follow me. And we're not worthy to follow him. So guess what? We're going to mess up. People are going to mess up in the middle of our services. People whose kids have never been to church, they're going to be loud and disruptive. That's okay. I've got a loud mic. But it's not convenient to watch Jesus change people's lives. But he's the Lord, and we're looking forward to him doing that. And I, asked, I, I said in our last sermon that just keep watching where are the disciples in all of this. And again, they're still in training. They're not doing much. It's okay. They're being trained. They see this opposition. At every time Jesus does something great, the Pharisees want to criticize. So church, our responsibility as the disciples of Christ... No matter what opposition, we keep going.
we keep going. And we keep experiencing the power of the good news. I'm going to ask Ashley to come forward and as we prepare to sing in response to what we've heard. Church, let's look for the power of the good news in our lives this week. Let's look for the power of the good news in the lives of those that we know. Let's look for the power of the good news in our church life. Find some of that power that God's doing and just share it with each other. Say, you know, hey, I was thinking about this. This is something God's done in my life, and it's only by the power of God that I was able to do that. Let's start sharing some testimonies about that. Let's enjoy seeing the power of God, the power of the good news in our lives and in our church and in our community. But before I close, I challenged you earlier that if you're someone who you would say you're unworthy, Jesus is calling you by name tonight. He's saying, come, follow me. If that's you tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if, if you're saying, yes, I know I've sinned against God. I'm dead in my trespasses. I want life. I want to be forgiven. And I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer after me under your breath or to yourself. As Ashley plays, just pray this with me. God, I'm dead in my sin. dead in my trespasses but I hear you calling me I hear you saying come follow me I'm leaving behind my sin I'm leaving behind my shame I'm going to follow you Jesus Forgive me. Empower me with your spirit. And I'll walk after you all my days. In Jesus' name. Now with heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, please fill out that connect card that was in your seat. We got pins at the back. Fill that out and come hand it to me or drop in our offering box before you leave. Now let me pray for our church. And church, if you're here tonight and maybe, maybe you're just caught in your sin, remember that the same Jesus that called you by name and saved you is the same God that will forgive you of your sins and help you to keep walking with Him. Now, you can't, once you've repented of your sins and followed, you can't just keep doing that over and over and over and over again. You're not getting saved every time. You're a child coming to the Father saying, Dad, forgive me. So church, maybe you need to pray tonight and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Let me pray for you. Jesus, help us to never get caught up in the law versus you being the Lord. Lord, help us to be ready for you to make the unbelievable believable. Thank you for making the unworthy worthy. Lord, we know that the, the old covenant can't handle the power of the new covenant. God, we look forward to seeing you work in Bar None and the Casper area. We love you, Lord. And despite all the opposition, help us to keep going. In Jesus' name.